half man, half goat, fur, scales, goat man. Dave, I am living in a world of hammers, uh, nail guns, and Tejana music. They wow. are building a building a house next door, and there is no respite. There is nowhere to hide. I am just going to have the sound of hammers and nail guns and Tejana music running through the house for the foreseeable future. Nice. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was that or like elves were making Christmas presents for your wife or what was going. Oh, on. let's go with that. That's right. Yes, that's those are my, those are the many elves. And their nail guns, <laughs> and, and elves, are, elves are famous for their love of Tejano music. So that's works out, of course. <laughs> what's going? What, what's going on with you? How's your Thanksgiving? Know. It was good. It was good. And one of the neat things with uh, going into Thanksgiving, I actually got uh, several uh, email Thanksgiving uh, thank you messages from our friends in Red Hat Canada, uh, which I thought was great because they. They already had their Thanksgiving last month, but um, it was really cool for them to you know take a moment and, and reach out and, and say thanks. So I thought that was like pretty cool. That was nice. I also got some uh, some thank yous from Red Hat Canada, and my first thought, which makes me a bad person, is that this is in this is incredibly Canadian of them to be sending us thanks on not even their own Thanksgiving on our Thanksgiving. Right. They're send, they're sending us a thank you. They're so thoroughly decent. And yeah, and Canadian of them. It was really nice. So thanks, Paul. Um, thanks all the folks at Red Hat Canada for the, uh, for the really, really lovely and heartfelt Thanksgiving messages. That was really nice. Yeah. 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 So that reminds me of the, uh, some of the lessons learned from the last lecture by Randy Pausch. Mm-hmm. Right. You're a, you're a big fan of the last lecture. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I know this about you. Yeah. Yeah. Where uh, one of the things that, uh, he was a big proponent of is sending uh, thank you notes, like handwritten thank you notes, where you put a stamp on them. Um, you know, he he goes to the next level, so uh, something that I try to do whenever I can. Um, but I highly recommend it. That's that's something I that's something I frequently feel bad about not doing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my that's kind of my that's my relationship with handwritten thank you notes. Yeah, it's just kind of a constant guilt. I suppose I, I suppose I can do something about that. Yeah. Yeah, but anyhow, what's what? What do we have on tap uh, for this week? Uh, hacking, because we're a bunch of hackers. Yeah. So we got uh, audio hacking. We got Nexus Five hacking. Uh, hacking the currency. Hacking uh, with OpenShift Enterprise 2.0, which is just released. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lake Monsters. Good. Oh, and uh, we got a new segment: uh, the Security Doghouse. Yep. Yep. Okay. We got to get some. We got to get some like punchy audio theme for the Security Doghouse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That would be good. That would be good. And if uh, anybody has suggestions for that uh, segment, where should they go? Mm-hmm. And they can go. Uh, they can open up their internet web browser, and they can go to http colon forward slash forward slash dgshow dot org. That's D is in Dave, G is in Gunner. Show dot org. Good. Good. Yeah. And so, so what's on the cutting room floor this week? So we got flight simulators, we got waiting in line simulators. Um, we are also have an article on the largest island in the largest lake in the largest island in the largest lake in North America. God, that's like a that's like a word problem from my Lisp class yeah. in computer science. That's the, it's so the the largest island in the largest lake in the largest island in the largest lake. It's like a recursive 
thing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's just lakes and islands all the way down. Yeah. It's a, it's a fractal. <laughs> that's right. All right. So audio hacking. So Dave, this is a, now we're, we're doing follow up here. So the, mm-hmm. so we, we've spoken on two different episodes now about this, um, this hack, which may or may not exist, which mm-hmm. is somebody's computer. Uh, this is the bad BIOS hack, right? Where yeah. the BIOS is communicating and possibly infecting other computers using this regular plain vanilla speakers and microphones. Mm-hmm. Um, we had someone write in, uh, or someone wrote an article saying how, Using speakers and microphones, that's ridiculous. That's utterly impossible. Nobody could ever do that. Um, and sure enough, one week later, almost, uh, a bunch of researchers developed a proof of concept wherein they were able to communicate over audio uh, from one lap, just plain vanilla laptop, one to another. Um, they had got about a 20-meter radius out of it, and they were able to move a phenomenal 20 bits per second using, mm. the, using the tool. Um, and the sound is inaudible. Yeah. Um, so you can't, you don't know that it's happening. Wow. And that, that's not 20 baud. That's or like kilobods. Bits. Yeah. It's 20 yeah. bits per second. That's 20 bits per second. Yeah. It's like Morse code. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. In fact, it's not even as good as Morse code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me about beards. We got some beard follow up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, friend of the show, Matt Mycini, he did his first uh, video interview. Um, it's up on the FedScoop website. It was pretty cool where he's talking about open source adoption. And uh, he did some name dropping, or actually law dropping. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he mentioned Helixon's Law. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Some more fodder for the Helixon's Law Wikipedia page. Yeah. yeah which, which, still, which still yeah. struggles for legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we've got a now we've now we have another third party third party link we can throw at the uh, the 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 arbitrary uh, judging criteria of Wikipedia um, and hopefully get uh, get Helixon's law um, out of Wikipedia jail and into the hands of the of the good people of the internet. Right. That'd be great. Yeah. So we can get those T-shirts made up for tank tops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm mostly it's mostly about the tank tops. I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, so how's your new phone? Your Nexus Five. Yeah. It's. Um, it's interesting. There's some good points and there's some, there's some work that needs to be done. Um, it's interesting going from like a Samsung galaxy three to the Nexus of pure Google experience where Mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that I got used to in the Samsung that are simply not there, um, in the Nexus. Um, Oh really? Like what? Yeah. Well, um, number one is getting the, over the, getting the mail to work. Um, uh, can't wait for that to come out uh it looks like yeah. that's a bug and 441 is they're they're looking at having a uh having it uh, uh an over the air update soon like in the next couple of days so hopefully maybe by the time this goes to air we'll have a fix so that that'll be fine i'll, I'll forgive them for that whenever that comes out um, yeah well this is a well the, this this uh, the problem with the the problem with the email corporate email on the Nexus devices is like this chronic thing where every time they do a new release of the OS they somehow break certificate based authentication to mail clients yeah um, and it's been, it's happened like four times in a row now um, where I for, I know for myself I should have just known better um, fortunately there's third party alternate email clients you can use you know you know while Google gets its act together. Um, but it really is kind of embarrassing to have broken the same thing four times in a row. Um, it's just silly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, look, 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 but they say it's going to be fixed in the 441 update, so that'll be good. Yeah, and it's like um, 
you'd think they'd add it to a test matrix once, you know, after a while. Um, right. yeah. after, after four or five years, you might want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but some other things I noticed, some other, other nuances, um, with if you're wearing polarized sunglasses and you hold the Nexus 5 horizontally, it makes the screen go black, um, which <laughs> I don't know if you really? noticed that. No, I don't. I don't wear sunglasses as a matter of course, so I never noticed that. But yeah, so you like you know how polarized lenses work, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you have two sets of polarized glasses, and you know you can actually make it go black. Um, And the way the polarization is with the Nexus Five is that if you hold the phone horizontally, like if you're looking at like a GPS, like the GPS view, you know when Mm -hmm. you you want to navigate and have it horizontally, um, Mm -hmm. and you're wearing sunglasses. The polarization will uh, their their opposite polarization polar uh, the polarization is opposite and so the screen will w- the screen will appear to be black when you're wearing sunglasses. You take the sunglasses off and it looks fine. Um, on my Samsung, um, the polarization was at a forty five degree angle, so um, uh, yeah, so it doesn't black out completely. But I'm sure that the reason why the they did it with the Nexus Five is that the the polarization is optimal for outside use that the you know if you're holding it upright vertically um it, you have the maximum polarization so it looks best outside but the moment you rotate at 90 degrees it's not going to look good um or it's not visible at all uh with polarized right. sunglasses which you know I I wear sunglasses when I drive um and I'm outside um so yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So I guess the the Samsung doing it at forty five degrees was like and like a compromise measure where it's not going to be especially bright when mm-hmm. you're totally vertical or totally horizontal, but it but it will never go dark if you're wearing sunglasses. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. And then you think, well, I could I could have the phone. Okay, no problem. I'll just have the phone vertically upright. But whenever you do that, the the power charger is at the bottom, so it can't sit flat. And then if you turn it completely upside down, um, the screen won't rotate. Um, so that it's, you know, it's, it's the upside down, you know, it won't mm-hmm. rotate that way. So it's, right. yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell me what you got more complaints. Oh, I got a list. Um, <laughs> so, and the other thing I noticed is that it didn't come with earbuds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, to me, I would think that that would be like a, a legal CYA sort of thing that, you know, mm-hmm. with all the hands free and, you know, it's like somebody's going to get into an accident because they didn't give me free headphones with the with the with the the phone um right. which is surprising i um i was actually glad of it because i have an entire drawer full of crappy headsets that yeah. came with phones that i don't ever use yeah. and so i was actually relieved that i didn't have another set that i'd have to just you know throw away um, yeah that actually that was actually okay with me and, and to me that wasn't a big deal because you like like you said is that you, you probably have your favorite head headsets that you like and that's what you stick with anyhow from phone to phone mm-hmm. um yeah and then the other thing i found is that with the earbuds that i'm using the in-call volume tends to be too loud like you you can't like you know it's like at the lowest volume setting it's still too loud for me hmm yeah um that- Maybe it's earbuds I'm using. Um, it could be, yeah, because I, I haven't I haven't experienced that. It sounds yeah. like it might be might be your thing. Hmm. Okay. And then the other thing I found is that, and I, maybe this is my earbuds again. Is that I can you know how like there's a button by the microphone where mm-hmm. it'll play and pause media like for podcasts mm-hmm. or music, but it won't hang phone calls up or yes. answer the phone. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Which that's true. 
that that was something I enjoyed on the uh, on the um, Samsung phone because and, and the iPhone for that matter too, um, and previous phones. Um, and then the other thing I found is that if you're if you you know in the pull down menu where where you have like all the notifications and all that in the Samsung there was the ability to mute the microphone. So you could mm-hmm. be in a different app, pull the thing down, unmute, talk, and then mm-hmm. mute it again, go back up. Whereas right. here, I need to switch to the phone application to be able to unmute the phone and, and mute the phone. Oh, that's interesting. So on the does your earbud button, I know my earbud button actually mutes the phone rather than um, rather than hanging up the call. Does mm-hmm. it not do that for you? Nope. No. Well, no, it actually, that's actually, I'll have to try that. I'll have to try that. Maybe that's, that's the action that happens is that that will mute and unmute. I'll have to yeah, try that. that's that's what it does for me. So that may be the solution. Look at this solving problems already. We're not even yeah. five minutes into the show. This, this is, great. is good. This is good. Okay. <laughs> um, and but um, outside of that, it, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Um, and but my daughter got a Moto X um, from Republic Wireless. You know, she upgraded her phone, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I, I really like it a lot. You know, it's it's a smaller screen, but it it just feels actually better in my hand than the Nexus Five. Um, it's it's heavier than you thought, right? Yeah, it's it's got heft to it. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and but one of the other cool things with the Motorola phone is that they have a hundred dollar rebate whenever you exchange your old Motorola phone for a new one, um, hmm. which is pretty cool because I'm always worried about like uh, e waste, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's instead of having this phone that you're going to have for ten years or forever, you know, for for a long time. The 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 phone manufacturers sort of design them to be obsolete in a year or so. Um, mm-hmm. So if there was a and you know I, I can imagine people just putting them in drawers or throwing them in the garbage or whatever. But if there was a way that like here you you mail your old phone into you know some clearinghouse and they'll either recycle it or send it to some third world country and and donate it to whoever. Um, so it's like I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that is good. Yeah. And then cool. I also noticed too that there's a uh, Motorola has uh, the Moto G, which is mm-hmm. like the baby brother of the Moto X, and that's only like 200 bucks, like unlocked and uh, 16 gigabytes. Oh wow! Yeah, um, cool. Which I I wonder if that is what their motivations are for doing something like that. Like uh, like if you think about how. Google probably doesn't like all the fragmentation of like a bazillion phones on the market. And if this is a way to have, um, you know, like an expensive phone and then like a low range phone that everybody sort of gravitates to eventually. And maybe the Motorola phones will ultimately be the iPhone competitor as opposed to everybody having different phones. Yeah, it could be. I know that Google famously is worried about uh, is worried about how well Samsung is doing um, on the Android platform, I think. Uh, it's one of the reasons why probably they purchased Moto is they wanted to make sure that they didn't completely lose their foothold in the Android hardware market. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. Huh? Yeah. 200 bucks. That's no money at all. That's like a, that's like a really nice dinner. Yeah. Like, especially for like kids or whatever, you lose mm-hmm. a phone or drop it or whatever. It's like, or something you could replace and, th- and that's no contract. Right. Right. And, uh, oh. you know, and you could do like the, uh, MVNOs and and just get a SIM card and uh, mm-hmm. so take yeah. it overseas. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. 
So speaking of uh, speaking of Google Lock-in, um, I just discovered this feature of Google, which uh, is actually like a really cool idea, um, and I had never heard of it before, so I thought I'd bring it up. Um, the Google Inactive Account Manager. Have you heard of this? No, not until you. I saw you put the link. So it's like a. Is it like a dead man switch? It's like a dead man switch. It's like a. Uh, I described it to to my wife as a uh, kind of a living will for your Google data. Um, mm-hmm. So you go in there and you say, if Google, if you have not seen me or heard from me, if I haven't logged in in the last month, three months, six months, whatever, um, please do the following things, and it will do things like send me an email and remind me to log in again if for whatever reason I haven't logged in. Um, contact this third party and let them know that I haven't logged in. Um, anyway, there's a series of triggers and then a series of actions that you can do. And basically the, the design of it is to make sure that people can access your Google data af- basically after you've died. Nice. So if you were to either flee the country, um, or pass away, uh, your spouse or your family will still have access to, um, whatever part, uh, whatever parts of Google you choose to make available. So it could be your photos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could be your email if you're into that. Um, could be your, you know, your Google Drive, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Um, it's an easy way for, for Google to kind of do this. Kind of, it's an easy way for Google to pass the account information to, I guess, your next of kin without having to go through like a bunch of complicated, you know, legal stuff, getting subpoenas and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, anyway, I thought it was a really nice, really elegant way, and it g- actually gives you control of how your data is going to be handled um, after you after you're gone. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Huh? Interesting. Well, yeah. Have you? Or but, do, I mean, you would set up something like this, right? This seems. It sounds I, like I can't see. I can't see like a. Maybe there's a security problem with this, but I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like something I should look into and, and do. And I also think that. What about like? How do you? Like with Google, even even without dying, um, <laughs> when you have images, say, like in your Google Drive or in your photos and all that, is there a way to um, transfer ownership of a document to somebody else? That is a good question. I don't know. I don't know that there is. Yeah, I don't um, think I there don't, is. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think there is. I think um, they have Google Takeout. Right, uh, which will allow you to export and then re-import it into somebody else's account. But there's, yeah. I don't think there's a simple way of just saying like, may, you know, change this from Gunnar to Dave. I don't yeah, think you can do that, or, or like joint custody of right. Right. of a file. Yeah. Like yeah. to me, it's like you know, you have all these phones, right? And you want to be able to take pictures, but you may have like the one family account that has like all that all the photos in it, right? Mm-hmm. That. Mm-hmm. My wife would see and I would see. So instead of me having photos that I would share with my wife, it would be great to have something that we could both edit, we could both share, um, you know, and whenever we create files, we can move them into that shared area. Mm-hmm. I think what a lot of folks do for that is just create a third Google account. Yeah. Um, so it would be like Dave and his wife at gmail.com. Um, and then you both will have that password or you both will have access to that account. And then you could, uh, dump in whatever photos or documents or, or what have you. Yeah. But it would, I think it would be in theory, it should be simple or a simple matter of programming to have the feature to just say that, Oh, change the ownership to whoever. Cause I don't want to deal with this document anymore. Or like think about mm-hmm. Google, Google docs where it's like, I'm leaving the company and I want to give my Google docs to somebody else, you know, right. being able to reassign right. that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That seems like the kind of feature probably that they would reserve for the Google apps, mm-hmm. like for the paid service. Yeah. Whereas with the public service, it just seems like too ripe for abuse. Yeah. To actually to actually give away for free. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But in the meantime, they're doing other things, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the meantime, they're uh, <laughs> um, apparently Google is constantly searching for thought crimes and alerting local authorities when they discover them. Uh, so they have algorithms which are going out and looking for, well, in this case, um, child pornography. They found a guy in Sacramento who had something that their algorithm said looked like child pornography. It goes to a human, it's flagged, a human reviewer at Google said, yep, this sure enough is is child pornography. And then they called up the local Sacramento police department and let them know this guy's account and this guy lives at XYZ and he's storing child pornography on the server. Wow. Which I guess, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a line, there's an argument here. There's a line of arguments here where you're, you know, child pornography is like at definitely one end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. right? Where, just about you know any kind of surveillance gets legitimized if it's grabbing child pornography, mm-hmm. um, and but there's a slippery slope, right? Um, for instance, you know child pornography, and then it's any kind of pornography, and then suddenly it's you know bad recipes. Um, it you know it's uh, it just seems ripe for abuse. This mm-hmm. this kind of facility, and I was under the impression that, and this is just I'm naive on this stuff, but um, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act created this notion of like a safe harbor. Mm-hmm. where if you did no monitoring of your content, then you couldn't be held liable for any of the content. Hmm. Right? Like as long as you had a hands-off policy, right. then you couldn't be, then you couldn't be held culpable for what your users were doing. Right. Um, I, and I kind of just naively had assumed that that applied to everything, but now I'm realizing that that maybe just applied to like intellectual property stuff and not to actual crimes. Hmm. Um, now it makes me wonder if Google has the, it, I mean, obviously it's legal. I presume it's legal that Google's able to do this, but I mean, realize, well, what safeguards are in place? Like if Google can now be monitoring for any kind of crime, um, is it just felonies? Mm-hmm. Right. Is it, um, like how involved do they get in civil matters? Like I've, I mean, it just, the, anyway, a whole bunch well, of obvious questions get there, popped, there's get all, up here. Right? You've seen the news reports of uh, somebody driving crazy on their motorcycle 100 miles an hour on the highway. And then mm-hmm. they, they have the dash cam or the handlebar cam, and then they post yeah. it on YouTube. And then, mm-hmm. oh, well, we've got to trace this down. And that can be another example. Yeah. Well, and if you've, if you've looked at your Google location data, they know when you're in a car and when you're walking and mm-hmm. all the rest of it. So, like, they have a GPS on, like, my phone has GPS. Google's looking for my location. Um, they know when I'm moving more than 80 miles an hour mm-hmm. um, and could very easily flag my activity to a state trooper. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if they decided to bring, you know, this unbelievable, you know, computational power to bear on my speeding ticket, like they could do that if they wanted. Um, or sell that to the insurance companies. Or sell it to the insurance companies. Exactly mm-hmm. right. Anyway, some, it's funny that it's, something that I thought was very abstract or kind of alarmist. Like if somebody brought this up as a hypothetical, I'd be like, that's ridiculous. That's never actually going to happen. But seeing this come out on, you know, November 21st is when the article came out. Um, now suddenly thinking like, maybe that is a lot closer than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not at all clear to me what the rules are on when Google is permitted to wrap me out and when they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Anyway, so but that's it. But it's all okay because Google just added this new feature uh, where they're constantly listening to me while I'm browsing the web. Yep. So, so no, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. So it's more than just thought crime. It's yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, it's an extensively useful uh, feature. So now on the Chrome browser, uh, you can do the same thing you can do on your on your brand new Nexus phone, Dave, which mm-hmm. is say, "Okay, Google," and then your Nexus phone comes to attention. You can give it an instruction. Um, now you can do the same thing on your browser. Yeah. Um, which I guess is. I guess is useful for a certain number of people. I can't imagine how it would be useful for me when I'm sitting at my desk. I don't oh, know. Can you think airplane. of a... On an airplane. I would use oh, that yeah, right. Yeah, that's when right. I'm not yeah. on a cell phone. <laughs> don't be phone guy. Yeah. Don't be phone guy on the airplane. Yeah. Well, and, well, how do you feel about... You know, to me, it's like, oh, it's convenient. You know, you could say, oh, okay, Google, and then it wakes up and it's taking your input and everything. But, and you know, it's convenient, but... I don't know if people fully realize how creepy that is. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, somebody saying, you know, why don't they just say, okay, NSA, and and then it just <laughs> records whatever. <laughs> but, um, it you know, it's like always listening. And I wonder, like, do people, are they okay with that? I, I presume that they're okay with it. I, I, I don't know. It seems like the kind of thing where, I'll tell you, this is exactly how this came about. There was an engineer at Google who was like, oh, sweet, I like how my phone does this. I really wish I could do this on my browser. And so he spent mm-hmm. part of his 25% time or whatever, or his 20% time building this extension and then published it, and they didn't give it a whole lot of thought. I think yeah. that's exactly what's happening, right? Well, I, um, yeah. And well, what I'm asking about, though, is on the phone. Like, are people okay with that, having that capability on the phone where the phone is always mm-hmm. listening to you? Oh, sure, 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 sure. Well, I think there are... Either they're not thinking about it or laboring under the assumption that the data isn't leaving the phone. Like somehow it's the phone that knows that you're talking. Right. And so it's, it's not like it's constantly pinging Google with the current audio that's coming into the phone. It's the phone is deciding when something important happens and then kind of filtering all but the significant data and sending that up to Google. So it's not like Google is listening to you all the time. So your phone is listening to you all the time, which is a related but separate problem. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also listening for, well, right now it's, it's publicly saying that it's listening for, okay, Google. Right. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine them being compelled under core order to listen for other key phrases for certain devices. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, That's right. And then the other side of it is like, okay, if people are okay with that with their telephone, are they okay with that with their TV watching and listening to them? Right. Well, we we talked about this with the uh, Microsoft's uh, Connect. Yeah, that won't shut off. That won't shut off, right? Constantly watching and seeing, making sure you're in the room when the ad plays. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, you know, it's... uh, obviously this is worth like an entire issue of Dave and Gunner magazine, but, um, the, <laughs> like I, the issue is so even for us who are kind of conversant in the technology, mm-hmm. the issue is so unbelievably complicated to unwrap. Um, you know, the, typically the answer to this, the kind of thing is, well, transparency is the answer, right? As long as you let the user know what's going on, as long as you let the user know that you're listening to them, then it's all, then it's all cool. Mm-hmm. Um, like make sure there's a green dot, a little green LED next to the camera when the camera's on. Yeah. Right. And that'll be the, that'll be your protection. You don't have to worry about it after that. But if you start thinking about like all the different layers and all the people that get to touch the data that gets collected in this way, 
um, even if you, even if there was total transparency, there's no way that it would be a full-time job to keep track of where all my data was going mm-hmm. and deciding whether that was, whether I wanted that person to have the data or whether I didn't want them to have that data. Um, even with full transparency, you don't have total agency mm-hmm. in this kind of transaction. So it just seems intractable. And that seems like a terrible position to be in. And frankly, for like, what's the return on this? Like, what am I getting out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, if you've used the, like, if you've used the voice commands on the Google phone, it's like pretty handy sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's not anywhere near good enough to use on a regular basis. Um, likewise with Siri on the iPhone, it's pretty okay, but I don't know a whole lot of people who rely on it like on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not like essential to their workflow or anything. So right. for this, like for this, you know, like technological equivalent of like a, a chintzy bauble, um, we're creating this like host of like extremely intrusive um, technology. So I, I don't know. It just seems like a terrible idea. It seems yeah. like a terrible idea. Although I, I have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't like, I don't know what decisions I'm supposed to make different now that, you know, I could not use the feature. Um, but that doesn't actually solve the problem as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you do? Are you doing anything different now that you're thinking about it in this way? Um, well, to me, it seems like right now with the Nexus 5, if you have the pin lock saying, okay, Google doesn't wake the phone up. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you have to be, it has to be unlocked and like on the home screen in order for okay Google to work. Yeah, that's right. which that may be, maybe that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I don't know, well, this, is, this goes back to a conversation we've had before, which is... Um, I guess this bugs me in the abstract, but if I'm really honest with myself, I'm, I'm actually not that threatened by this. Mm-hmm. Like I should be mm-hmm. right. I understand, you know, there's like a civil liberties aspect to this. There's the chilling effect of the panopticon. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel especially chilled. Like I don't, you know, I don't think I'm behaving differently knowing that my phone is listening to me all the time. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you, do you feel like you're changing your behavior at all? Um, I'm not changing my behavior. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I just wonder if something will happen and that'll cause that to change. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This is how they get, this is how they get you. Yeah. This is how they get you. Yeah. Um, all right. What's next? Twitter. Yep. <laughs> Who's the next person violating our liberties? Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me, let me have it. Would you, you found this, right? Yeah. So there, they announced uh tailored audiences for uh, ad retargeting. So, Basically, if you go to a web page looking for traveling to Hawaii um, at, say, like a hotel website, Mm -hmm. um, Twitter will pick up on that because it'll have like a relationship with Twitter will have a relationship with that hotel company. And then in your when you're looking at your Twitter feed, um, you may magically see a promoted tweet from a. Um, from that hotel uh, telling you about how great it would be to stay at their hotel in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. That seems, I don't know, that seems totally normal, right? That seems. Yes. And, and if, if you're not blocking third party cookies, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So, okay. Yeah. To me, I'm sort of creeped out when I go from one web property to another and and then all of a sudden you know that somebody's been watching you and i Mm -hmm. i just i turn off third-party cookies and that tends to help 
Yeah. So if you, if, if folks in the audience have not installed the ad block mm-hmm. extension, there's flavors for Firefox, there's flavors for Chrome, and I'm sure Internet Explorer has its own flavor of it. Um, this ad block tool will block third party beacons, cookies, pixel, pixie dust, whatever, um, that people use to track your activity online. Right? So if I move from site A to site B, but site C has advertised on both site A and site B site C knows that I was on A and B, mm-hmm. right? Um, turning on ad block is a revelation when you realize exactly how many people are keeping track of what you're doing. Um, especially when you go to like magazine websites, Forbes, I think, I saw like 136 tracking items on a Forbes.com webpage, which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, that means uh, 130, I presume that each one of those is an individual, a separate company, 136 companies watching me move around the Forbes.com website. Uh, but all that can be blocked from your browser if you install the ad block browser. So I recommend that to everybody. Yeah. Um, totally worth doing. Well, even, well, well I'll, I will also block go into Firefox and disable third-party cookies on top of mm-hmm. it. Um, yes. Because, like, if you... And you can see the the before and after difference. Like, if you go to a website where, um, you know, Slashdot or whatever, um, and it'll be like, oh, tweet this article. Um, and you could... Or you could see who of your Facebook friends like this article or your Twitter people tweeted that article. You could see that if you have third-party cookies enabled. But if you disable it, um, that would not be visible. Uh, so the surveillance state, the irony is that surveillance state is coming from the private sector and not a government, right? Yeah. Um, although actually maybe both it turns out at the same time. Um, so Dave, if I wanted to build my own surveillance state, if I wanted to, uh, create my own panopticon, is that possible? Can I do that? Yeah. All you need is a uh, raspberry Pi and an Arduino. Sold. I'm ready. All right. How do I get started? Um, so the register has an article on how to do, uh, uh, an Apple iBeacon with the Raspberry Pi, and it's the whole do-it-yourself kit. They give you all the instructions. And then um, there was, I think it was Instructables had an article on um, how to build your own GPS car tracking system using an Arduino. <laughs> so, th- so this is the hope, right? This is this is the thing that makes me feel okay about a lot of a lot of this stuff is that. Um, at the same time that technology has allowed companies, the government to do all this additional surveillance on us, there is a, there is a balancing function in the fact that citizens have access to things like drones and they can build their own car trackers and they can build mm-hmm. their own, they can build their own surveillance equipment. Um, you know, we talked to, uh, I think we talked in the last show about, um, the irony of, uh, cops complaining that they were now being monitored on video, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the... Uh, this is the thing that that kind of makes me feel okay, and maybe that's a false hope. Maybe maybe my maybe my optimism is misplaced. But the idea that um, the the power rests both in the hands of like your average Joe as well as um, large organizations, it kind of makes me makes me feel okay about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so now you found so speaking of. Uh, speaking of rights, uh, one of my favorite organizations, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, just put this uh, report out on encryption on the web, right? Yep. Yeah, basically, who who's doing what? So mm-hmm. you could see whether, you know, what is Yahoo doing compared to Google? And you can even compare all the different uh, internet providers of, or service providers, what, what they're providing. But one of the things that I found that was missing from that um, was a um, column for... Um, which businesses 
could actually give up data if compelled by court order, um, which I thought would be a very handy column that's missing from that review. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like if you compare the Spider Oak row with the Dropbox row as it's there right now, um, they're pretty much equal um, in terms of encryption. Um, but that's actually not the case whenever you factor that um, other part in in terms of uh, Dropbox having the encryption keys where Spider Oak doesn't necessarily. Right, right. So that even if Spider Oak were served with subpoenas, um, they would only be able to surrender the encrypted data. They wouldn't be able to surrender the unencrypted data. Right, right. Yeah. Cool. Let's lighten things up a little bit. Yes, yeah. let's do that. Can we talk about Santa Claus? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Can I talk to Santa Claus? Yes, for only fourteen ninety nine. Fourteen ninety nine. That seems a little spendy, Dave. Yeah. Well. What? Okay. Well, let's 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 give a little uh, um, background on this. So there's a, I guess there's an app. It's called Hello Santa, and um, and so it's basically a way to do FaceTime with uh, Santa, um, and it's only fourteen ninety nine to do. So, so 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 there's an actor playing Santa on the other end of FaceTime. No, for I mean for fourteen ninety nine, it's it's Santa, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Also, well, is there like a tiered payment plan? Like, if I just paid like three bucks, what would I get? <laughs> yeah, or, or it's like some call center, you know, and it's. <laughs> it's right. And and you can imagine, you know, it's like, oh, honey, I got a great deal on this this app or whatever, and we can, you know, the child can call Santa, and that that could like, you, I, I don't think this is the kind of thing you want to go cheap on. You know, you want to go top shelf. Um, <laughs> or you could do, uh, you could do a, I bet, I bet, like, you could do like a chat roulette, yeah. <laughs> like a chat, like a chat roulette Santa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it could be naughty, could be nice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it is, yeah, it could go sideways very quick. And and then I was thinking about this is that this is like a a movie script waiting to happen where it's like Vince Vaughn and uh Adam Sandler are like Santa's in this call center and you know, it's some romantic comedy thing. Can, yeah, can yeah, you picture that? Oh yeah, sure. Basically it writes itself. It mm-hmm. writes itself. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's wacky hijinks. <laughs> Uh, um, do they accept Bitcoin? Um, hopefully. Um, it, but if they do accept it, um, there's an economist in the New York Times that says it's going to fail. So you need to start spending your Bitcoin right now. All right. Um, so this so this guy's shorting Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He, <laughs> I was reading it and I was just like, I, I, I'm so surprised that this came out this way and maybe I, I i don't know but like some quotes here is that uh bitcoin exemplifies some of the problems with private money um its value is uncertain and its legal status is unclear and it could easily become useless if users lose faith so right. and i was thinking like what about fiat based money that is not backed by gold right right this is this is yeah, like unless you're actually tethered to a commodity, if the you know unless unless the currency is actually backed by gold, then that's true. What do you, those weaknesses are true of all money, right? Yeah, including the dollar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, and what's funny here is that uh, another quote was truly private money is an inferior alternative to money that comes with the backing of a political authority. 
After mm. all, no bank or Bitcoin emitter can be as public-minded as a government, and no private power can raise taxes or pass laws to unwind monetary excesses. Um, right. <laughs> so I'm thinking unwinding monetary excesses. And how did that work out for the Weimar Republic? <laughs> right. Or Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. That's a ridiculous argument. That's a silly, silly, silly argument. Um, yeah. yeah. It's funny. It's funny how these, how some of these Bitcoin reactions are like the, there's two kinds of reactions. Like one is, um, this is silly as a practical matter. Like this is just not a practical way of moving money around. Right. It'll have maybe specialized uses, but it's not going to be like a generally accepted form of currency. And then there's another, which is like the orthodoxy, which is like Bitcoin, like a, a, a not state backed currency is impossible. Yeah. Um, and of course that argument is ridiculous because, um, non-state money, non-state backed money, money not backed by political authority is, uh, of course that's possible. And in fact, it's extremely common, right? They've been doing that for thousands of years, thousands of years. And it happened long before we created the nation state and it will happen long after. Um, so that's just, that's yeah. Yeah. So you have gold, right? You have cigarettes in prison, right? Yeah, that's right. Tulips. Tulip bulbs, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, and then the other side of it is, I guess, diamonds, which is a, a stranger example where it's sort of like a, a monopoly um, where where the price may be artificially set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Well, because of cartels, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess um, moral of the story is to spend all your money on talking to Santa. I'll spend all your Bitcoin on talking to Santa while you can. <laughs> Yes, that's right. Um, cool. Or put it uh, in your Kickstarter for your chat roulette idea. <laughs> my, my Santa roulette idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So what are we... Oh, uh, events. Yes. Rondo events. Um, so the Red Hat Summit registration is open. Red Hat yes. Summit is early this year. It's coming in, what, April? April, yeah. And April, it'll be in San, sunny San Francisco. Yeah. And, and people should get their registration from their account team because that's the lowest price available. That's correct. That's right. Um, and then Dave, are you traveling between now and, uh, and the holidays? Yes. Yeah. I'll be in Westford and, and DC. So just, okay. are uh, you doing any, are you do, doing any public appearances or, or is it all internal stuff? I'm going to the Akron lug tonight. So, nice. yeah, but that's, that's about it. Things are starting to wind down for me for the, the holidays with, uh, public speaking mm-hmm. engagements. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I got one more. I got uh I got I'm doing the Gartner Data Center um dingus in mm-hmm. uh in Las Vegas next mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Um which will actually be fun. I'm looking forward to it despite it being in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um and it'll be for some reason every time I go to Vegas for like the last three, four years, I only go to Vegas like once or twice a year, but every time I go I end up in the Venetian. I don't know what I don't know mm-hmm. what that's about. Um but sure enough, once again I will be at the Venetian. Mm-hmm. Um strange sound like wayne newton or something <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right limited i got a three-day booking in in a in, in the venetian um all right so what's going on uh, what's going on at red hat we got the oh the red hat support tool which we've mentioned before in the show yes um there's actually a video up which is a really nice kind of intro primer to uh to the tool um yeah. So I know we've talked about it before, but Dave, you want to just give some like the highlights of the highlights of, of what yeah, this thing does? Yeah. So previously we talked about it. I don't know if they're renaming it or, or what, but it used, you know, earlier we were calling it Red Hat Access, which sounds like a database, but it's mm-hmm. not. Um, <laughs> it's it's 
um, it's better than that. It's, you know, so it's, it's basically, it's integrated inside a rev. So like within rev, you can go and, uh, you, you could actually interact with the customer portal. Um, it's like, Oh, well, I saw a bug. Well, I could file a bug within there. And you could also do a lot of things from the command line, like within RHEL, um, to be able to, um, upload, uh, kernel dumps and, and SOS reports and stuff like that. Um, so it's pretty cool. And, and being able to, um, you know, search the knowledge base and things like that. It's, 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 it's really, really slick. And, um, that, that video goes into a, a good uh, amount of detail about that. I, I saw the guy that did the video, I saw him do the, the same presentation at the summit and it was just fantastic. So I highly recommend that. Cool. Right on. Um, Let's see. Also, we wanted to point people at the uh, security features matrix, which just appeared on the Fedora Project website. Um, super handy table um, that the Fedora folks put together, um, going back from like RHEL three um, forward and describing all the security features in both RHEL and Fedora and when they were introduced. Um, and it's a really nice kind of visual history um, of kind of where these security features came from and kind of where they're going. Um, I, I was really struck by it. I didn't. Well, first of all, I don't. <laughs> I mean, we've been, I've, you know, you and I, we've been talking about this stuff for, for seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I could have named all the security features that they enumerated on this table. Yeah. Um, there's stuff that I had never heard of and stuff that I had long since forgotten about. Um, uh, all of which are important for, for making, um, rally, a, a more secure platform. So, um, I thought, I thought it was great that people should check it out. Yeah. And each of the rows in the table actually linked to the textual, uh, description of each of them too. So it, it goes into great detail, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, let's see what else in the news. Oh, uh, Google compute engine just came out of beta. So they're like real live for real in production now, and you can get rel yeah. on the Google, on the GCE. Yeah. So good for, good for rel and good for, good for GCE. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then OpenShift, uh, there's an announcement that uh, OpenShift 2.0 is coming out. At long last. Yeah. I'm super yeah. excited about this. So December 11th is the, is the launch date, right? Yep, yep, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was uh, talking to Rich Lucente about that, uh, uh, SA in public sector. I asked him if he's going to be, like, sleeping out the night before, like, like uh, <laughs> and he's getting his tent ready and all that. So, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, that's great. So, so some, some of the highlights of the features that are coming in OpenShift 2.0. Um, so, uh, so first of all, we've automated the install, um, with a YAML file. So you can actually use tools like Puppet, Chef, and Ansible to, to, to install the thing kind of automatically. Mm -hmm. Um, if you are an OpenStack nerd, Mm -hmm. um, we actually have heat templates for OpenShift, um, which should make it much easier to provision on a, on an OpenStack system. Um, the coolest, probably the headline feature is the admin console. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we've got like a clicky handy GUI, uh, for folks to administer the, the, uh, the open shift system, mm-hmm. um, which we didn't have before. So that, that is a huge, that's a really big deal. Um, so you can like mess with your gears and, um, manage users and stuff like that. I think that's going to be, that's going to be really exciting. Um, and then we added support for node, like official support for Node.js. So there's an official cartridge there, um, which would be cool. I've actually been tinkering with node this week. I'll probably be doing some more over the holidays. Um, it's really fun. Actually, it's super fun. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you haven't, if you haven't 
taking a look at the at node and kind of how it works, it's it's really pretty great um, and a nice like vibrant like robust community. Um, reminds me actually of the in a good way. Reminds me of the early days of Pearl. Yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty great. So if you um, wanted and, to get started with Node, you you have to buy a copy of OpenShift Enterprise and get it, buy some servers and get it installed and all that, right? And, yeah, if you were made of you know if you were made of like Santa money. Um, yes, you could do that. If you didn't yes. spend it all on that chat, let... <laughs> that's right. Yeah, right. Um, or you could just use the OpenShift uh, hosted service, so OpenShift Online, uh, where you can build, you can stand up three separate Node JS applications if you wanted, um, free for nothing, nice. all, all all by yourself. So, um, so go check out at OpenShift.com. Nice. Yeah. So, Dave, tell me about a customer you like. Yeah. So, um, I, I know we've talked about NASA before, but uh, talking about another person at NASA um, that I like is uh, Rich Reinhardt from NASA Glenn up in Cleveland. So uh, I knew him from, for a while now. Uh, it goes back to my SGI days um, when we did, uh, uh, he did, uh, he was doing scientific visualization up there. And uh, he actually has a Kickstarter going um, as part of his uh, um, uh, evening uh, pursuits where he's, he's working on a uh, Mars opera. I don't think I know what that is. Is that like a web browser or something? No, it's it's a uh, a comical musical uh, about going to Mars. Oh, cool! Yeah. Oh, neat. Yeah. Okay. So think like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, sort of thing. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's a musical. Oh, right on. Yeah. Well, that's great. Is it, are there samples of his uh, musical writing ability on the Kickstarter page? He has a video on there um, that that goes into it a little bit. So, but he's, he's, he's looking for people, you know, the funding will help, uh, you know, get people to sing and stuff like that. And, and so who knows, maybe I'll, I'll see if, if my daughter wants to help out because she likes to sing and she likes NASA. Right on. So that's great. Um, so Dave, you traveled for Thanksgiving or did you stay at home? I drove to Pennsylvania. Yep. Um, and I'm, and I'm sure that I will be traveling, um, in the airplanes, uh, between now and the, and the new year. So I was delighted to discover from flight aware, they have this, uh, website called the misery map, um, which is a beautiful visualization of just exactly how screwed up the airspace is, uh, at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it lets you see like what the congestion is on the routes. It lets you see what the delay times are like on the airports themselves, um, it shows you what the trends are over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so at 4 PM on a given day, um, how good or bad are things incredibly, I don't know how useful it is necessarily. Cause I don't like you can do anything about it. Um, but it's really, really beautiful to look at. Um, so check out, it's the, we'll, we'll have a link to it in the show notes, the misery map from a uh, flight aware. Um, do you have any, do you have any websites you want to recommend to folks? Um, yeah. Parkways. Yeah. So it was, um, so when uh, Laura and I went to go see the uh, Steelers and the Browns play, it's like I mm-hmm. wasn't sure where to get um, good parking, um, you know, close to the stadium, so we didn't have to walk far away. And there's a website called ParkWiz that you can go, you could prepay for the parking, and you print it out and you hand it to the attendant going in, and it was like ten bucks, um, and we were like pretty close to the uh, the um, the stadium. You know, compared hmm. to other people paying like twenty five bucks or whatever, so it was it was pretty nice. And I can imagine for like DC parking, that could also be pretty compelling too. Where you know, it's like 
you're not sure where the venue is or you're trying to find parking and all that or you get hosed on the parking, um, seems like a, a pretty nice thing to have. So what's the angle? Like, why is it, why is it so cheap and convenient for you and these other jokers had to pay 25 bucks? Um, I think it's because you prepay and it's a premeditated sort of thing as opposed to mm-hmm. somebody just showing up and they don't know where to park. And hmm. But the where we parked, it was, like, amazing. It was, like, a brand-new parking garage, and there was, like, nobody in it, um, which is great. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And right. you, could, you could see the – there were reviews of the parking garage um, where people said, oh, it was great, or, you know, um, or it's sketchy or whatever, <laughs> you know, which, you know, it's – <laughs> brand new absolute minimum of urine <laughs> yeah. and and you could see um you could also see uh they had pictures of the parking garage and um and they even had uh for like oh well it's for the browns game and it would say well these parking lots for are for they allow tailgating and other ones don't um which was pretty neat too so if you wanted to tailgate you could pick one that that is and or if you didn't want to and you wanted to park away from everybody uh you know, uh, with their barbecue grills and, and, uh, you know, drinking and all that, you could, you could steer clear of that too. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's neat to see how this, we're getting like much more local and much more specific with a lot of this data, right? Like you mentioned, you know, do, do they allow tailgating or not? Um, you know, five years ago, if somebody had built this application or this tool, um, I'm not even sure if they would have the wherewithal to ask that question. Mm-hmm. Um, but now this is how you make the app useful, right? Is by giving people information they may not even have realized that they wanted, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Interesting. And and it, I think it helps um, lower prices of things too, because they you know you could find out where capacity is and or a, a well you know a hidden gem you know and people. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of evens things out that way. I think. Yeah, and if you can like pay on your phone, you could do like congestion pricing on the parking spaces, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. So, all right, new segment: doghouse. Who's yep. in the doghouse? Yeah, the National Center for Security Initiatives. Okay, well, that sounds safe. Those guys sound great. It sounds like a government agency, doesn't it? It does indeed. But it's not. Yeah. Oh, that's no good. Yeah, so if you, I don't know if you went to the website, um, but it's like if you go there, it starts playing this music, and, and it sounds like, like you know, Charlie Brown Peanuts sort of music, but in a minor key. So it's <laughs> like if, if you went to Charlie Brown's funeral, it would sound like that kind of music. You know, it's very somber, and, you know, it's just, and and it's um, it's basically, it's like a company that will do background checks on people for that want to work for, work with children or you know it's like oh i want to be a high school coach and so mm-hmm. oh well you got to get a background check done and uh so um my wife was um uh had to do that for the one thing that she's volunteering for and um the the website she like sent me an email saying well you know how should i do this and they said that um well you could take a pic what they need to do is have a photograph of your driver's license or passport or state id and you could either email it to them or directly upload it on their website. And I'm like, by no means do you want to like email right. stuff like that because it's not encrypted. And I was just thinking that, you know, for somebody, uh, for a company that is their whole reason for being is safety and security, um, to suggest something like that is just crazy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's ridiculous. Well, and nobody should be hiring them to do that work. Right. right. 
um, cause that's appalling. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really that's annoying. That's sketchy. That's and I, sketchy. yeah. And people, don't, I don't think people realize that they they think that oh well, I'll just email it and, and the email goes directly from their camera, um, you know, their their phone, the camera on their phone to the email server, um, but that's not the case. Right. Right. I yeah. I don't know. I, I get this. I get this like knee jerk reaction though of like if somebody's dumb enough to just email a photo of their driver's license or their passport or whatever to like any old joker who asks for it. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like I'm I'm kind of at the point now where it's not like we it's not like we just cracked the technology, right? We've been doing this for ten or fifteen years. Um and it just seems like okay, now this is like minimum personal information security literacy, right? Where you don't do this, right? Like you don't respond to solicitations from Nigerians on your email, um, and you don't send your social security number unencrypted over a, over you know over the internet, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, still, it makes these guys super shady, super shady. So they're yeah. in the doghouse. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So what's, so uh, task management. I've made absolutely no progress on my search for a new task management system. Um, I'm intrigued by the release of MailPilot, uh, which we'll talk about probably in another episode um, once I have more time to play with it. But uh, basically, the more I look for stuff, the more I come back to remember the milk, which is infuriating. Um, having just trash talked them not two episodes ago. So uh, how's it going for you, Dave? Yeah, my the problem, the big problem that I still have is that email is. What what, it, what do you say? Is it, it's a collaborative task list? Yes, that anyone can add to. That's right. Yeah, and that's yeah. I fall into that trap all the time. Where you know, how many times do we like? Do I wake up in the morning? I, I sit down at the computer, and my email dictates what I'm doing for the day. Um, mm-hmm. And it can't be that way. Or, or you, it's like you get to five o'clock and you realize what did I do all day? And all you did was like process email. Um, and so you know, for me, I've been sticking a lot more in remember the milk and emailing things to remember the milk when I'm on an airplane doing the, you know, offline email and it goes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's been helping. Um, but, but still, like you said, it's like, there's so much more room for improvement for remember the milk. Um, but still it's, you know, my wife, you know, she just got the Nexus five two and with my daughter getting a new, uh, Moto X, you know, it's like, we're, we're looking at ways to do collaborative task management or list mm-hmm. management. And, um, you know, you could get fancy with remember the milk and, you know, and I, and then I got to buy like what three remember the milk accounts and, and all that. But mm-hmm. what we've been doing for just like things like grocery list is just a, a document in Google, Google drive where we edit it and we go through the grocery store and, you know, we, we delete the things, you know, from you know, each line and it's mm-hmm. sort of like walking around with etherpad, um, yeah, doing it right. that way. And that, that seems to be working out. Okay. It's just it's a little bit like the the bummer about the Google Drive stuff is that it's like either editing a text document or like a spreadsheet and it doesn't really lend itself to like list making. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just not like because you, you don't have like the checkbox. Right. That's the magic. That's yes. what makes it easy. Right. It's just having a checkbox and be able to check it and have it be crossed off a list. Uh, but yeah, I can see how Google Drive would be handy for that. That's great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um so I've been watching a lot of Netflix lately because I've been ailing. I've been, I've been under the weather um, and heavily medicated for a good portion of the week. And so I've been spending my evenings um, staring at um, 
uh, let's see, I've been catching up on my Mad Men, uh, which mm-hmm. has been horrifying um, because I just finished the season finale. And uh, then, I've, then I've been watching uh, Walking Dead, which has been horrifying um, because it just did the uh, season finale. Um, and then I've been watching this uh, British show called MI5, mm. um, which is a little bit like, uh, I don't know, it's like a spy procedural um, uh, from BBC, um, mm. which is also horrifying. The last episode featured a woman who got her hands and face stuck in a fryer. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just like, I'm surrounded by this, uh, just horrifying. <laughs> My whole TV experience has been horrifying and thank God I was heavily medicated and didn't notice it that much. Um, anyway, all of this is an elaborate lead into you found, uh, you found it in, uh, an atlas of, uh, lake monsters. Yeah, uh, Lake Lake Monsters of America. It's a nice uh, infographic that you could probably get blown up and made like a poster of it, so you could like hang it up in your uh, doomsday bunker. <laughs> well, like what? Do you have examples? Yeah, yeah. So um, if you if you look at the map, it's you know Lake Monsters of America. So some of the more popular ones, um, like the one in my neck of the woods, is Bessie. Um, that's reported to be a snake-like, uh, thirty to forty foot long. Uh, uh, monster that is uh, at least a foot in diameter with a grayish color, and and I thought, okay, well, you know, is that really the case and all that? And there's, there, believe it or not, there's a Wikipedia article on it, and um, there's also the Lake Erie Monsters. That's um, the minor league hockey team in Cleveland. They're, they're named the <laughs> Lake Erie Monsters because of of Bessie and related lake monsters. Now, is this like pre EPA or post EPA that Bessie came around? Um, was this like a no Bessie was like the 1800s oh okay yeah so oh I guess I guess a name like Bessie I guess that's obvious right yeah right, right. Uh, well I can imagine with all the pollution in Cleveland it's probably when the lake caught on fire it probably just burned, <laughs> burned. Um, <laughs> that was Bessie. the end of Bessie <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um so yeah I uh, yeah but um yeah you could you could go around and do some sightings if you want um but um, in your neck of the woods, um, not not in Austin, but in mm-hmm. um, near uh, Lake Worth by Dallas, mm-hmm. right? There's the Lake Worth monster, which is uh, there's a goat man that's out there. Oh, I miss X Files. Yeah, half man, half goat, fur, scales, <laughs> goat man. <laughs> the script writes itself. <laughs> half man, half goat, covered in fur and scales. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> and this whole thing, and, and so this isn't a lake monster, but have you ever read the book, The uh, Mothman Prophecies? Uh, no, but th- they made that into a movie at some point, right? Yeah. And then it, it mm-hmm. was horrible. It was, okay. it had uh, Alec Baldwin in it. Um, and, you know, whether you <laughs> but like you, But him you repeat or not, yourself. <laughs> it, it was, and that was back in the heyday when Alec Baldwin was like, you know, uh, that was, you know, he was, he was super popular and, and was Glenn, Greg, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, but the movie was terrible. The book is awesome. Um, and it, and it's in the nonfiction, nonfiction section. So, um, and it's basically the guy that wrote it, he was just basically an investigator that went to, um, uh, was it, was it Point Pleasant in, it's in Southern Ohio, um, mm-hmm. along the Ohio river. And, um, you know, he went around and, and it's really like spooky Art Bell sort of vibe to it where it's not just Mothman in, or, or the Mothman in the book, but there are like these mysterious men in black that show up um, throughout the book. And it's, it's like 
spooky. Uh, and so it's, I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's entertaining. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Cool. Uh, well, what do you say, Dave? It's time for my, uh, it's time for my nap. Yeah. I got to head to the lug. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, well have a good lug. Yeah. Um, and, uh, what are we, are, are we doing this next week? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. All right. Um, I will be up in Westford, so we'll, we'll try to, uh, I'll try to get some, uh, guest stars to possibly visit. Excellent. All right. So tune in next, next week for a, a special Westford guest star episode of, uh, the Dave and Gunner show. Yeah. And if, but if people want to, uh, while they're waiting for that episode, um, uh, and they need to look at lake monsters, where do, where do they need to go? Mm-hmm. Um, so they want to open their web browsers for the internet um, and type in HTTP colon forward slash forward slash D as in Dave, G as in goat boy show dot O-R-G. Nice. All right. Uh, we'll have a good week, everybody. Yep. Bye, everybody. <laughs>